I can hide a lot of other feelings and, um, you know, attitudes on a physical level. Um, but again, uh, with music and with my music, there's no hiding. I'm, I am, um, whether fortunate or unfortunate, I'm unabashedly exposed. And it's terrifying. But um, I can't, I don't know any other way. Genius, it takes a lot to get on my show. Genius, you're probably someone we'd like to know. You're really good at stuff, you probably like to dance. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius, get onto my show. Howdy, folks. Welcome to Living with a Genius. I'm your host, Omar Crook. On today's episode, I have contractor, well, vocal contractor, not like a general contractor. He doesn't do drywall. At least I don't think he does. Vocal contractor, composer, performer, all-around good guy, Jasper Randall. He is um, arguably the biggest vocal contractor in the world. I mean, when you really think about it, you know, most of the Hollywood blockbusters are uh, made here in Los Angeles. There are about four uh, major uh, vocal contractors in town, and he is uh, one of the top dogs. So I'm very excited to to have him on the show. I've worked with him a few times on some film projects, and um, I didn't know a lot about him. He's um, a little bit of an introvert, and a lot of people don't really get a chance to to know him, and uh, especially a lot of my friends here in town uh, will really enjoy this interview. I really had a great time with Jasper. I really enjoy his company. I like his ideas. He's uh, a real artist and a good businessman, and there's lots to, lots to learn in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, thank you for listening. I'm glad that uh, we're back in the saddle with the show. Thank you all for joining me again. Got more uh, great episodes coming up. Uh, next week, we've got Susan Bennett. You should check her out on Wikipedia. She's the original voice of Siri. I asked her why, uh, you know, how it felt to have millions of people screaming at the top of their lungs at the uh, incompetence that Siri seems to display more often than not. She thought that was funny. You can hear all about it next Monday. Thanks again for tuning in. Here is Jasper. Jasper Randall. Let me get these levels right. These are obviously just all whack out of whack here. <coughs> Jasper, you have a cough. Tell me about that. What's happening? I don't know what's happening. It's been over a year and a half. <laughs> really? I just saw a pulmonary specialist. I think that's what they're called. Are you serious? Yeah. So yeah it's, no, been a while. It's, it's, it's supposedly asthma. And I think I've always had it. Um, but it's, and it's not in my lungs. It's like more of an upper, upper thing. Yeah. So I've been on inhalers and now they're giving me a different kind of pill. Now I know a couple form. of the, f uh, fields of work that you're in. Are you also a singer? I am a singer. You yeah. are a singer as yeah. well. How does but that I, affect your singing? Well, it, it has been more and more problematic because it becomes a lesson, uh, in breath control and cough suppression, which <sighs> can be devastating oh, on to stage. a singer. Oh, right. Yeah. Especially when you're on right. stage. So I'm, uh. I'm dealing with it. I think it's one of those things where I kept expecting it to go away. Yeah. It would kind of go away and get better and I'd forget about it. Yeah. And so I hadn't been taking it very seriously, but it's obviously not going away. And I think it's it's actually something that might not ever go away. It's something that will just need to be suppressed mm -hmm. with medication. Mm -hmm. So um, Okay. Well, you're getting to the bottom of it. At least it. it's over the counter. Yeah. Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> or... You know, I well, mean, the other alternative. Yeah, the alternative's nothing, fine, too. It's I mean, nothing illicit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so most singers around town know who you are yes. by virtue of 
what you do for many many of us. Uh, do you prefer? Well, let me for the for the people listening who don't who don't know who you are. You are the biggest or one of the biggest vocal contractors in California in Los Angeles, which makes you one of the biggest vocal contractors in the world, especially for feature film, just by virtue of our location and the kind of work that you do mm -hmm. here. Um, but I also know that you're a composer yes. and an arranger. Yes. Do you prefer to think of yourself as a composer arranger who has to contract for movies or vice versa? I think of myself as a composer who was given the opportunity to do something else and I took that opportunity knowing that because I was a composer I could do an amazing job at it. So you okay let's track that. Uh, did you grow up playing music? I did. I grew up in a little town in Oregon in uh, the middle of nowhere. Uh, Corvallis. Outside of right? Corvallis. Outside of Corvallis. Born in Corvallis. Uh, but the, the town about 30 minutes west into the mountains from Corvallis is called Alsi. Uh-huh. There's about 100 people that live there. Okay. Um, and uh, grew up, my mother's very musical, and I started taking piano from her at four or five. How was that? Now, I, I mean, I've got some friends who, uh, uh, mutual friends, Eric Whitaker, and he, Eric mm -hmm. and Hila uh, started teaching their son, Esh, piano at a very early age. And, and Esh uh, didn't take to it well as far as learning from his parents how was that for you was it i don't ever remember a conscious decision of wanting to pursue music other than i believe my mom always played piano in church uh -huh. and um, um would play piano for graduations and such and so i think it was more of a you see your parents doing something you want to imitate that mm -hmm. um and it worked well for maybe four or five years obviously i reached the age at which taking from your mom is not so great. And right. she she transitioned me over to other teachers. Um, and I carried that through uh, high school. And you always liked it? I always liked it. Um, around 12, I realized that I had a very strong ear. And I remember this moment I was, I was watching, I think a fishing show on television or something, just mm -hmm. an outdoor show. And this music was playing, this elevator-like music that you always hear. Mm -hmm. And I started to try to anticipate where it was going to go and I remember at one point it went somewhere different and I didn't like it and it really bothered me and I grabbed the remote and I muted the TV and I ran over to the piano and I played the music but then I played where I wanted it to go mm -hmm. and then, and there was such a fulfillment there it was like a light bulb going wait a minute I don't have to simply play music I can create music and <clears throat> from that moment on I knew I wanted to be a composer uh, and from I the time you were 12? From the time I was about 13. Wow. It's kind of soaked in around then. Um, I didn't know how I would do it. I didn't know what it would mean or how I would make a living at it. Um, and then my father one day uh, took me to a movie called Back to the Future, and it absolutely changed my life. It sure. was, I realized there was music in movies, and I wanted to write music, and so I'll write music for movies. And that was I was about 15 at the time, and I never looked back. And your parents uh, were fully supportive of it? Fully supportive. They they never once told me maybe what I should have heard at times. <laughs> this is completely ridiculous, and how are you going to do that? You live in a town of 100 people in the middle of nowhere in Oregon. Um, but I really set my mind to it. I, I'm a bit of an addictive personality, and I think that was uh, one of those moments where I there was no looking back. 
So how did you get out of a town next to Corvallis? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the long story. Um, I was I, I went to a small private school, uh, very heavy in music. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the teachers there uh, was very passionate about music. And um, from playing piano, I started playing clarinet and baritone and drums and bass. And we'd go to these competitions and such. So it was it was really a magnet school. Mm-hmm. Even at the time, I believe no one up there would have even known what that meant. Mm-hmm. And would practice piano uh, for these um, regional, national, and international piano competitions. And uh, gradually worked my way up uh, in in competing in those and winning those. And one at one point. Um, a college choir and orchestra from a Pacific University happened mm-hmm. to be going on a West Coast tour. Mm-hmm. My parents took me to this concert, and my dad, um, being ever the visionary, said, "Maybe you should go here. They have a great, they have a great program." Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, now that's a that's a, a Christian school. Christian school. And are you are you uh, uh, did you grow up in a Christian household? I, yes, I raised Christian. Uh huh. And, and it's something uh, that you maintain. Exactly. Uh-huh. And. Um, so my father took me down to the director at the time and uh, had me sit down and play for him. And I just so happened to have a piece prepared for an international competition. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> they gave me a scholarship on the spot. And suddenly I was heading to uh, Southern California. I eventually, originally rather, wanted to go to USC because mm-hmm. USC had a film scoring program. Mm-hmm. So, you know, why not cut to the chase? But I was 17 at the time, and my parents didn't want me to go from Alsea, Oregon, to Los Angeles, and rightly so. Yeah. Um, you know, it's such a massive transition on every level. Sure. So I went to uh, Zeus Pacific and did uh, theory composition there, and uh, graduated from there in 96. Uh, took a summer off, played in the waves in Huntington Beach with my roommates but then used a senior composition recital that I had done at Azusa as a stepping stone to get into the scoring program at USC. So really, film music was where you wanted to go. Because I, I know, I mean, I know that you've, uh, uh, one of the things that I've had trouble with with this interview was finding lyrics for your choral pieces. Um, but in doing so, I found lots of compositions here and there for film, especially X-Men, I think, is the first thing that comes up. Mm-hmm. Is that something that... Uh, I don't know how, how to, not that I, how to say this, there's nothing really to say, but I know you for your choral compositions, but you went in pursuing film scoring, is yes, that right? Yes, and I consider myself a composer, film composer, first mm-hmm. and foremost. Huh. Uh, the majority of stuff that I've scored, independent things, shorts, um, independent features, I had one that went theatrical, and it's always been well-received. I film composing is one of those things that until you do it you don't know if you can right but that could be said of or anything. if you like it i mean the schedule and everything is so different exactly from in traditional fact composing. i've had this conversation many times looking back <clears throat> if if you were to ask me if i would want to be a film composer in this day and age while the process and the the creative um part of it is, is you know very compelling mm-hmm. the schedule and uh, demands that these guys go through is mm-hmm. insane. And um, what about the compromise? I, there is some getting used to that because you can sit there for days and pour yourself into a scene 
and uh, come out with what you believe is the best thing you've ever written. And in one listen, it can be thrown out. Mm -hmm. And you have to get used to starting over. And you have to be very humble and you have to be very gracious. Um, I w that wasn't always the case. Mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't by any means perfect with it. I'd get in arguments with directors all the time. Mm -hmm. um, but you really have to be subservient to the film. And I don't know if I would uh, want to go through that again today. Not that I'm not willing to be subservient mm -hmm. by any means, but rather that um, the business has changed so much. Um, In what way? Well, success for many of the veterans in the business would be decades-long careers. Yet there's many uh, composers out there uh, where if they get one or two major films and have a run of a year or two, um, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and that speaks nothing of their ability. It just speaks of the ever-changing temporary status of our industry. It's fickle. It's fickle. You're, mm -hmm. you're the best thing one week and not the best thing the other week. So mm -hmm. um, transitioning into um, vocal contracting was uh, a natural thing for me because I'm, in essence, working for myself. Now, were you gigging as a session singer at the time? Or how did, how did you get into that business to no, begin I with? I wasn't. Singing is, was and is simply another instrument that I play. Mm-hmm. And I'm surrounded by incredible singers. Mm -hmm. And I by no means put myself out there as a singer. Mm -hmm. um, I would much rather find the best in the world than me or anyone else simply filling a spot. Mm -hmm. um, so singing is something I do um, and uh, keep myself in shape, uh, singing in choir and, and session work and such. Mm -hmm. But I'm constantly in awe of the talent that surrounds me, you know, mm -hmm. such as yourself, mm -hmm. where it is truly a, a God-given gift. So tell me the incident that gave you that um, opportunity to be a, a, a contractor. And was that, I mean, if somebody said, Omar, I, I need you to contract a choir, I, I could probably do it, but mm -hmm. I would, I would uh, <clears throat> be real nervous about it. Oh, I was real nervous about it. Yeah. I was real nervous about it. But what's funny is that this is nothing I ever asked for. It's nothing I ever seeked out. Mm -hmm. uh, yet again, it was an opportunity that presented itself. And um, what, Walk me through it. What happened? I got out of USC uh, from, their, from their program, finished their program, and had a CD of my work. Mm -hmm. um, my wife at the time... Um, had uh, established her career, she's a session singer herself, with a composer uh, doing commercial work and such um, by the name of Peter Rotter. Mm -hmm. And uh, we wanted to upgrade or update rather her demo. So we went over to his place to try to get some, some tracks and stuff that maybe she didn't have, you know, demos and such that she'd sang on. And through the course of that, um, met him and um, he inquired about my background and what I did, and I happened to have music on me. Um, like every good Angelino I should. Had, I had you get no, a script in the trunk uh, and I, a CD exactly. in the player. <laughs> I had no intention of this, but uh, he asked to hear some of my music, and I played him some, and he was um, greatly impressed. And I thought nothing more of it. But then a couple of weeks later, he called me up and asked uh, if I wanted to collaborate with him because uh, he's a fantastic composer himself, and that was his main drive and his main arc in life is a film composer and such. <clears throat> so I started collaborating with him, but about this time 
he was presented with the opportunity to possibly start uh, contracting with Sandy DeCrescent, mm -hmm. who was the um, biggest orchestral contractor in town. And so he was at a crossroads of sorts, mm -hmm. saying that, well, I'm a composer. I, I'm not looking to be a contractor. But yet again, opportunity knocks. And if you think, if you believe you can deliver, you walk through the door. And, um, or or, or if, even if you don't think you can deliver, you, you just figure it out. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fake it till you make it fake and it fake you it make some it. more. Yes. <clears throat> so um, as I started working with him, he started working with her. Uh, that developed into a partnership. And at which point he realized that um, the choirs could be better mm -hmm. in town uh, based on feedback he was getting. And knowing my choral background, because I had done some singing again, as I played piano, as I played baritone, as I played clarinet, I would sing now and then. Mm -hmm. Nothing I ever thought would be anything. It was simply another outlet of my musicality. Um, but did have a lot of um, experience uh, conducting and accompanying and such. And I'd also, by nature uh, of, uh, of my wife, had a front row seat to the session world mm -hmm. for a, a great number of years. I was the composer husband in the corner that was waiting to get out of there and write a three-minute cue that night right? and didn't really want to talk to anybody. Nonetheless, I had a front row seat to the politics. I had a front row seat to the personalities and the vast talent pool. So when Peter called me up and asked um, if I would be willing to consider doing this, um, I told him he was crazy. <laughs> I told him <laughs> I wanted to be a composer. I'm not looking to do anything else, not to mention stepping in such into such a political minefield. Yeah. Um, but he asked me to think about it, and I did. And I realized that I could be really good at it. Um, because as with anything, as with any instrument, voices to me were instruments. They're colors. Mm -hmm. And they're all incredibly unique. And I decided to give it a shot. That was back in November of 2007. Huh. And uh, never looked back. Tell me about the uh, the politics. How do you how do you navigate that? Is that something that's still uh, I mean, I notice when I do some some session work here and there, sometimes I see you, sometimes I see Edie, sometimes I see Sally, mm -hmm. sometimes it seems like is is that a way of overcoming those potentially hard feelings is to include all the other contractors on some of the gigs. Is that is that part of it? Well, it would definitely be maybe the smart thing to do. Mm -hmm. But being a composer, um, I could never subscribe to that philosophy. I can't. It's all about the music. Mm -hmm. uh, and whether that has cost me opportunities, whether that has cost me jobs or relationships, that would be unfortunate. Um, but it's about serving the music. It's serving the music. The, the right voice. It's serving the client. It's serving the composer. Being a composer myself, I I wouldn't want someone to come to me and say, um, "Here's your, here's your orchestra. Here's your choir, and uh, they're here because they need health insurance. They're here because uh, they're attractive. They're mm -hmm. here because of any other reason than they're exactly what I think is the best instrument mm -hmm. for your score and for your music." Um, it hasn't exactly been met with great enthusiasm at times. Mm -hmm. um, 
Is it difficult? Uh, I mean, is it difficult to deal with the disappointment of, of pissing people off? Is that because I know that's got to be part of the job. I've talked to Edie about it. I've talked to other people about it. That seems to be, I mean, it weighs on you. Yeah, right. It, it weighs on you because for every singer you hire, there's hundreds others that, um, you know, could use the work, mm -hmm. are incredibly talented mm -hmm. and might not understand why they're not hired. Mm hmm. Um, it's funny. You have something in common with many of my guests. I was just over at John Powell's house last week having mm -hmm. lunch, and we were talking about his career and, and, and the secret to his success. And he said that it's a selfish decision to be successful in your career, uh, but not in, in a negative way. He said that um, every decision that comes across his table has a binary outcome. Is it good for my career? Or is it bad for my career? And you can apply that towards relationships. You can apply it towards mm -hmm. certain goals. But for him, it's been, is this decision I'm making good for my career or bad? And you share that and you share the uh, the early age at which you decided to do a certain thing. Those are, seem to be the two things that most of my guests have in common. Uh, and that binary decision, I'm sure, uh, is difficult. I mean... Um, I don't know. I suppose I could do it, but uh, I mean, you just you you form relationships with with singers well, and you stand thing. next it's, to them for years. And yeah, you 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 so many of the um, singers in this community I am personal friends with, right? And I've known for years, right? And I care about, right? And I don't mean to sound cruel when I say that my responsibility is not to ensure you have health insurance. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, by all means, I I I feel for that, but. I also say that my job is not to hire singers. My job is to provide singers for clients. So I don't work for singers. Mm -hmm. I work for the studio that needs a specific mm -hmm. instrument. I work for a composer who needs a specific group. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is a greater responsibility than any responsibility I have to the singers. If I can accomplish both, then that's the best of both worlds. And mm -hmm. trust me, I don't say this lightly. It, it it weighs on you and it frustrates you and it hurts you. And um, I'm sure there's a few out there that um, maybe don't understand or don't take kindly to, to my philosophy of, of contracting. But I, I cannot compromise mm -hmm. in that regard. If I'm not putting forward who I think is best, then why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Do you find solace in composing when you get, is yes. that something that really helps you? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and with choral composing, it's it's very freeing in the sense that you're not subservient to something such as film or a visual element. However- Or, or, or friends. <laughs> or friends. <laughs> However, on the other hand, and I don't know, maybe others uh, composers would feel the same way, while you're not subservient to something, it's almost more stressful because you can't blame anything else for That's your right. decisions. That's right. You own every single note, every single dynamic, every single voice leading, every single voicing. Um, and you can't simply go, well, I did that because this dictated or because that dictated. Even with text, you can't even blame it on the text. Well, that was my next point. Uh, in, in listening to your pieces that you so graciously sent to me, mm -hmm. I noticed that it's highly personal, that your composition is highly personal. You can't hide from that either. No, no. And that's another thing that is uh, frightening about 
yeah. being a composer and especially being a choral composer where even the instruments, there's there's no detachment. There's It's so personal to sing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I... I don't know where I will ultimately fit within the choral composition world. I How many major pieces have you written so far that you that you can claim as being part I did of your a, tone? Yeah, I did a song cycle of E.E. E. Cummings. Mm-hmm. I did a song cycle based on a water cycle based on um, forms of, of water. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I've done a Christmas piece. I'm I'm really a baby at this. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's a whole new playground for me. Um, and uh, it's, I find it fascinating. But I, I, I know this in more and more that I've been exposed and immersed in um, choral music and singing and all of that, mm-hmm. um, something that I feel like kind of a late bloomer to. Um, I know that there is a space for me. Um, I, as with the contracting, as with the composing, if I didn't think there was a place for me to go, I wouldn't do it. And mm-hmm. I think that with the choral composing, I believe I have something to be said in a way that is not being said. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's highly intellectual music out there, highly cerebral music out there, experimental music, avant-garde. There's very gorgeous, you know... Mm-hmm. Neo-romantic. Neo-romantic. Uh, highly tonal, yeah. Yeah, stuff out there. And I... But I still many times go to concerts and I long for fulfillment. I was talking to Sean Kirchner about this the other mm-hmm. night. We, we were getting real nerdy about it and just feeding off one another. I, I long for fulfillment and I think that there are millions of listeners out there as well who, when they hear a piece of music, they want to in some way know where it's going to go. Mm-hmm. Not to the point of spoon-fed, not to the point of um, something being... You know, pandering pandering yeah. mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. such but it's like a suspension that resolves they think it's going to go somewhere and when it does there is there's a relief mm-hmm. there's a it's gratifying to them sure now you don't always want to do that but i think when they get too much of one or the other sure it it leaves them shortchanged or or they simply feel uneducated, right? Or they, or they can see it on the page. They know where, you know, they know exactly what's going to happen, and that's not always great either. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other hand, you don't want rose. Well, it's a lot of people love Rosen Cavalier. I love Rosen Cavalier, but you know, it takes three hours to get to the damn rose scene. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. man, that's a long wait. <clears throat> so hopefully, with my my writing and my composition, I, I'm. I mean, in a nutshell, if, if if it doesn't move me emotionally, if I'm not drawn to it, like. Like themes of love and and mm-hmm. and water being, I love rain, I love weather, and I miss that mm-hmm. <laughs> living sure. living where we do. Um, <clears throat> I know that if I'm drawn to it and I resonate with it, then it'll I'll certainly put my best foot forward. Well, like I like I mentioned, I had trouble finding lyrics to your music. I don't have any of your music at home, as far as the choral music goes. Uh, I carry your heart. I know, mm-hmm. because Eric uh, said it for my wife and I mm-hmm. for the uh, end of the season concert mm-hmm. last year at the Master Carl. And uh, I, um, we chose that for our wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a song that, that we each, or a, a poem that we each kind of read to each other uh, f- for my wedding with my wife. What, um, what kind of personal attachment do you have to that poetry? What does it mean to you? Why did you use that text? Well, I'm 
I'm pretty introverted and I, I'm not one to shout my feelings or emotions from the rooftop. But, um, you know, there have been relationships in my past that I, you know, those times you think back and wonder if you did the right thing, if you made the right decision, um, decisions of letting one go. And um, I think the text in that one was very reflective, um, knowing that those relationships that you've let go, um, that there's still a connection there and that they'll always be with you, whether or not that is ever fulfilled in reality. And don't get me wrong. I, I What's funny is that if I've gotten into this, I didn't used to like poetry. And I don't think that's because I really read it and didn't like it. I just didn't think, I don't think I ever um, exposed myself to something that I connected with. Was it a lack of life experience? Probably, probably. I think it was just, again, uh, the, it's one thing to be driven, but if it, if you're, if you're focused to the point of not knowing what's around and not, you know, realizing the value in, in other things, um, that's not a good thing. Um, and, and like this, I, I, I wanted to be a film composer, but if an opportunity came by to vocal contract, um, I took that opportunity, um, through choir, an opportunity to write a choral piece. I mm -hmm. took that opportunity. And had I been focused on composing to the point of going, no, that's not what I want to do. No, that's not what I want to do. I, I wouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I'm, I'm, again, maybe a late bloomer of sorts, but I'm certainly taking off the blinders and, and looking at the world around me, mm -hmm. um, and the art around me and being much more, um, receptive of that. And, and that was one of the first poems that hit me and, and, um, kind of stuck with me. And so when the discussion was to do something, uh, for uh, Los Robles, who mm -hmm. I'm, I'm the composer in residence for, um, that was the first thing that came to mind. And I'm like, well, love it. Who can't get behind love? Mm -hmm. So then it was a matter of, and as I looked into E.E. E. Cummings, um, <laughs> I, I was just, I was fascinated with his pacing and his, his choice of words and, and such. His it, lack of capitalization and punctuation. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> yes. Um, it was, it was definitely kind of eye opening for me. Is it, uh, is your composition a vehicle to express and exercise emotions, uh, in a way that that you couldn't otherwise is that absolutely part of it? absolutely i i tell close friends around me and such that if if you want to know me and what makes me tick you you just listen to my music mm -hmm. um i can't hide that i can hide a lot of other feelings and um you know attitudes on a physical level mm -hmm. um but again, uh, with music and with my music, there's no hiding. I'm, I am, uh, whether fortunate or unfortunate, I'm unabashedly exposed. And it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. But um, I can't, I don't know any other way. Have you thought about conducting your own? Do you conduct your own pieces? I do conduct all you my do. stuff, yes. Do you enjoy it? Oh, I love it. I love it. And I think that was one of the moments, for instance, the very first thing I did as a vocal contractor. Mm -hmm. Because again, I, I spent months before I actually did anything, um, because again, I was immersing myself in a very controlled political climate. Um, has that changed at all? I think it has. It, uh, since I started gigging to, I think the last thing I did was 
uh, Oliver Stone's thing. I feel mm -hmm. like it's loosened up a little bit. It has. When right? I came, it's when not I, so uptight. No, and when I came on board, there was a vast chasm between the concert world and the studio world. Uh huh. Um, others may disagree with me, but that's what I saw coming in. Mm -hmm. And it was either you sang on stage and you were a serious musician and you did classical work and mm -hmm. opera and the Master Corral, or you were a session singer Hollywood. and can do 40 voices mm -hmm. and you had a bass drum but you know on your back and a you know a horn under your foot and right. you, you know you were the one man band right and that has vastly changed now i believe when composers call me and ask for specific things they want specific things and many times they say i want this mm -hmm. but i want the real deal i just don't want a session singer mm -hmm. i don't know how many times uh, I've I've been told that. So there's a the paradigm is shifting, but the there, paradigm is shifting. There's definitely a, a perception that studio singers still are kind of performing monkeys in a way. Well, or used to be. Maybe. Used to be. Mm -hmm. I, I, it's That's definitely changed. it's definitely shifting. And mm -hmm. now the 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 uh, the number of singers from these organizations, uh, including yourself, that now have regular work within this session world. Um, has increased greatly. Is that something to do with grant? Do you think? Well, definitely. Did that Ab change? Absolutely. I mean, actually, um, the first thing, one of the first things I did when I was uh, given this position um, was reach out to Grant. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't know me. I sent him an email and said, uh, "Hi, you don't know me, uh, but here's what I'd like to do," because I knew that um, the quality of choirs were suffering was the very reason I was asked to come on board. Mm -hmm. And how do we raise the bar? And for me, that was drawing a clear distinction between a fantastic singer and a fantastic chorister. Mm -hmm. uh, many are the s one and the same. And that's not to say that that can't be successfully bridged. Many of our colleagues do that. Of course. But it's a different mindset and a different training. And so I remembered the finest choir I'd ever heard in film. And um, I didn't grow up even focusing on choirs and singers in film mm -hmm. was from AI and uh, Paul Solomonovich um, and so I immediately went if I want to raise the level of choral singing in Los Angeles in film why not go to one of the world's finest choirs yeah, they've already been vetted yeah <laughs> and regarding Grant I, I believe he is such an incredible musician an incredible personality and such an incredible leader. I constantly say this to, to singers. He has taken the master chorale from simply one of the things that a singer does. He has taken it from that to an absolute destination. It is no longer a step in the mm -hmm. ladder. It is the, the top best. of the ladder. I said that last year at the end of last year's season, and I said it the, when, when I saw you for the last concert. I told uh, Andrew... Uh, mm -hmm. This is, I'll say it, I said it last year and I'll say it again. This is the best choir in the world. The best choir in the world. It's unbelievable. It is the most versatile choir in the world. And it is an absolute destination. Mm -hmm. There's no one passing through. Mm -hmm. and, oh, I agree. Um, yeah, sure. And I, th I think that's phenomenal. And to be able to utilize so many of those professionals uh, into the studio world has, I think, increased not only the, choir, the quality of uh, choirs in film, but has also inspired and held accountable so many other session singers to um, rise to the occasion. Mm -hmm. And many of them are now in choirs and focusing as much on 
choral and group chops as as anything. Mm -hmm. And um, a number of composers are uh, now say that um, choirs in L.A. Um, are finer than London choirs, which is was what I was waiting to have. <laughs> it's it's been a while, uh, but this I think the scale has tipped back. Do you think that uh, more work will be coming? To town, do you think that the unions will uh, bend a little bit and doing and maybe making buyout deals? Do you think that that's a, a? I sure, I sure hope so. I don't know about the the buyout situation, but I believe what's happening is we're we're the baby thrown out with the bathwater, mm -hmm. uh, for lack of a better term. And if they're taking orchestras to London or Bratislava or Prague or wherever they would go, they're not going to come back to do the choir here, regardless of quality or anything. It's logistics. Why would they do that? So <clears throat> until the AFM and the situation that they're dealing with um, changes, mm -hmm. and I have I don't know in what form, um, we're going to encounter the same the same kind of the same kind of thing. Do you think the LA musicians and choirs? Well, I mean, I know how you feel about the choirs, but do you think that the that Hollywood looks at local talent with the same sheen that they did in the fifties? I believe so. I there believe used to so. be a Hollywood sound, right? I mean, in the in the uh, from the beginning of film all the way through the sixties. Well, they all had staff orchestras, right. basically, the, and it seems like the Hollywood sound in quotes can be accomplished almost anywhere in the world now. Is that true or it, it, no? It can, however. As with the choirs and the singers, the studios, I believe, know that the most versatile musicians are here. Um, uh, syncopation is <laughs> maybe not a strong point of our colleagues in different parts of the world, right. so to speak. Right. Okay. <laughs> I don't know how to... You mean reading uh, music. <laughs> um, uh Okay, I understand. I, I just I I've just heard many times that um, for truly orchestral um, material, fantastic. Mm -hmm. You start getting outside the box. Aside from that, mm -hmm. whether players or otherwise, it becomes limited. At least the effectiveness. So, so I, we still have a leg up. Oh, absolutely. And it absolutely. seems like the work. I've heard the... of many many recent projects where they regret. Huh. Uh, not being here. You want to talk about those? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like uh, you and the other contractors have really raised the bar. Yes, uh, I, and I, 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 I should make clear that this is, I don't uh, look in the mirror and I'm know, a one man show. Polish yeah. my fingernails on my shirt. Sure. I, um, it is an absolute group e group effort, and um, in the end. I'm only as good of a contractor as the singers I hire. Mm -hmm. They still have to deliver. You still have to do an amazing job or else we all fail. Sure. So, again, I never asked for this job. And uh, there I find a bit of irony in that, in that um, I'm thrilled to have played a part in any of this. I'm thrilled that the musicians and the singers, uh, the musician singers, um, Thank have, you for that distinction, course, by the way. Of course. <laughs> um, Whenever we go to a country club for a gig, it's like the musicians yeah, are here and the singers are here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow, no, great. no. The incredible <laughs> singer musicians right. um, have definitely uh, rose to the occasion. 
and uh, I'm I'm pinch myself every time I get to work with uh, any professionals in this business. Mm -hmm. I and I take none of it for granted. What do you have coming up? What are you composing right now? What I you, am. Yes. Tell me about I, it. Um, I was asked by Susie Digby of the Golden Bridge to um, do a modern reflection uh, of a Renaissance piece for their September concert. What, and, what is a modern reflection of a Renaissance piece? Well, I'm trying to figure that out. Boy, that's a great <laughs> no, turn of no, phrase. That's, that's what um, she's done past couple of years is in keeping up the incredible Renaissance choral music, um, yet at the same time fostering new work and young composers what they do is they have a composer pick a piece from that time period mm -hmm. and then take either um, a similar text, or in this case, I'm taking the same text. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, Sicut Cervus mm -hmm. by Palestrina and doing your own spin on it. Oh, God. We, that we, we, terrifying. It is absolutely oh my terrifying. God. Do your own spin on Palestrina. Not, not to mention that it's going to be moderated by Morton Lortzen. So. <laughs> um, and the next, no, film no pressure. You score, the next film you score, you no want pressure. it to sound just like John Williams. Yes. So uh, come September oh 16th, God. I might be in a fetal position <laughs> in my studio. Um, but as with anything, I will take advantage of this opportunity and sure. I will face it head on and and pray to God that it uh, is palatable. What is it for you that is Palestrina? Is it the counterpoint? Is it the suspensions? What is it that you're taking from You want from me his... to be completely honest. Yeah. I started listening to this stuff and I'm like, I cannot oh stand God. this music. Okay. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, and I went to their concert last year, Golden Bridge yeah. uh, in Beverly Hills. Um, I was blown away by the musicality and musicianship that it takes to perform this music. And not just one of them. Any one of these the pieces. The concentration Jeez. and the focus. No vibrato. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> the concentration and focus. Any one of these pieces would have been a pinnacle of any other concert. Yet they had a complete concert of approximately eight of these pieces, nine mm -hmm. of these pieces or so. So I was in awe of that. Um, the music itself, it is... It's definitely a lot of protein. It's a lot of, you know, reps with a five-pound weight. Right. Do you have trouble uh, relating to it emotionally? Yeah, because it doesn't go anywhere in my mind. And I, I, right. I my apologies for anyone who loves this stuff. No, I have the same. No. It, it, it's yeah. basically, it's like if you had to drive home in second gear, you know, with traffic. Um, I Call me a simpleton. I want line. I want melody. I want beauty. And while there, I do find beauty, and I think this Palestrina piece was the first one that jumped out to me and went, oh my gosh, I can, mm -hmm. I I can work with this. I can work with this. Yeah. And the text alone, it was really the text. Because at first I was listening to all these pieces over and over and over. I resonated with something and I was like, oh, I love it. And turns out it was uh, early romanticism and I couldn't use it. But, um, and that's why I resonated with it, right. of course. Um, well, I think it's so, Palestrina is so contextual. I mean, I, I have to put myself in a red robe in the Sistine Chapel to, to really. You got to uh, go to a real, you know what I mean? real headspace for it. Yeah, for um, me, it doesn't relate to my life, I think. Is, is But with the text, you know, as the, as the deer pants for the water, so does my soul for the O oh God. I mean, obviously, that's of a personal nature. That is of my upbringing, singing uh, um, praise songs mm -hmm. with those, those uh, lyrics and such. Now there's something I can grab onto. Now there's a story. I mean, I wasn't raised Catholic. And uh, so it sometimes it's hard to find something warm and cuddly in in that literature. And um, Well, I, the new pope is helping with that yes, a little bit. Yes, of course. Very much so. You know. um, so 
that's what I'm going with. And I'm, I, uh, once I got away from the music and um, focused on the text, mm-hmm. then, then it started to come. Because so, now there's a picture, now there's a line, now there's something I can paint. Right. There's right. a story that I can tell, so how, to speak. How do you use the music? How do you change the music to suit your own tastes while maintaining the style for the concert? I think for me, as I'm working through it, I have musical ideas, I have melodies, I have harmonies. It's all very blurry at first. But it's all in the flavor of Palestrina? Is that the idea? Well, I I don't know if I'm going as deep as to identifying Palestrina's flavor. It is uh, polyphonic. Mm-hmm. So I am being very specific because um, that was kind of the one of the two modes I could do. You can do polyphonic or you can be monophonic and you can, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did want it to be interesting so uh compose it get my ideas down and then look at it and go okay is this am i being selfish and totally ignoring the direction or am i actually uh following the instruction now something that's that's modern that palestrina had a lot to do with were the dissonances are you focusing on um some on in your music you use a lot of dissonance i do i i do and maybe sometimes to a fault i did an arrangement of silent night which i don't um, believe you've heard yet that um i wanted to see how dissonant i could be with it and Mm -hmm. still maintain uh, the shape of it again i'm i i don't want to fall into the trap of uh there's so much imitation out there Mm -hmm. uh morton lawrence and carved his own way. Eric Whitaker is carving his own mm-hmm. way. I mean, those are such strong individualistic voices. Mm-hmm. Yet so much um, that comes after that, you hear them in it. Right. And while that's okay... It's to a fault. It's yeah. to a fault. Mm-hmm. Um, Dale Trumbor, mm-hmm. uh, again, a beautifully oh, yeah. individualistic voice. Mm-hmm. I, um, I like Dale very I much. I met Dale back in Ithaca mm-hmm. uh, when I um, was in a competition back there uh, a couple years ago. Um, she probably doesn't remember me, but I think I asked her where she was from. I didn't even know who she was at the time. And uh, she said, L.A. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and she was like, why would you say that? Uh, and that's about all I met with Dale. So I'm sorry, Dale. Uh, well, I, she's a lovely girl. I'm sure I know she is. You. I know she is. <laughs> and I love her music. Um, but I didn't want to simply go la, 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 blurry, kind of pretty chord right, that no one's right. heard lean, before. Lean your forearm blah, on the blah, piano. Blah, yeah. mm-hmm. Funny chord, you know. Mm-hmm. Because, believe it or not, people have heard those chords before and right. uh, leave it to the masters. So for me, it's really about melody and harmony. And mm-hmm. I love I love uh, um, uh, chromatic medians. I mm-hmm. love um, shifting up the tonality underneath the melody. Um, and I, I just... I wanted, I wanted, I wanted there to be a, a story to tell a story for there to be somewhere for it to go and end. Sure, an arc, you know, like a good story. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, again, the 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 difficulty in at least researching this Renaissance stuff is there is no arc. And I, I I'm looking at it, going, how did they know when they were done? <laughs> I guess they just ran out of words or or breath, yeah, or breath. <laughs> uh, you know, at least, yeah, I I. So when is this concert? This this uh... I believe it's September fifteenth. Oh, it's it's coming up. Oh yeah. How's that going? It's going. It's going. I I like any good composer uh, procrastinate. Sure. Eleventh um, hour. All the best work comes out midnight. Exactly. The night exactly. But it's coming. It's coming along nicely. And um, do you have trouble letting your pieces go when they're done? No. For me, it's a relief. It is. And you know, uh, you know when it's done. 
I wouldn't say that. Uh, I, it depends on the piece. I mean, as I as I do more and more choral work, I'm I second guess myself less. Mm -hmm. Obviously, voice is totally different. The tuning. And just because you play something on the piano doesn't mean it's going to line up the same way with voice, obviously. Sure. Um, and I'm surprised at certain chords that pop out because I'm not yet at the point of, of knowing how the uh, the overtones support one another with the voice mm -hmm. compared to, uh, you know, other tunings of instruments and such. Um, I guess my question is once your piece goes to press, do you feel like you can turn your back on it? Or do you continue? Do you continue to revise it and fuss with it? Like for instance, Eric, I know I've just known him so long. I've seen him compose for so long that he once it goes to press, it's sometimes not even close to being done, and he'll constantly revise right, it. Right. And it kind of changed my idea of how composers think. And uh, maybe historically, uh, you know, you look at a piece of you look at Beethoven nine, and that's Beethoven nine. There's yeah, when no, he wrote the thing there's in ink, no, I mean, it's like, no, fair. There's no going back. Uh, no. But it seems like uh, my introduction to a different kind of train of thought came with Eric in that he doesn't make any qualms about pulling a piece and saying, I'm redoing it or I'm going to make no. it for band. Or, I'm, no. And I think that's... I, I've you feel always, the same way? I do feel the same way. It's and a living... I, and I, I commend him for being, as he always has been, so open and honest with the messiness of the process. I, I think being anything else w would be pretentious. I just, you know, it's a messy art. And um, to answer your question, um, for instance, the Cloths of Heaven. Um, by the time I was done with that, I felt like it was done. I felt very uh, um, secure. Mm -hmm. Sure about in it. And what I'd done and sure about it. Mm -hmm. I'm actually putting it forward for uh, publication. And... I don't think that's something that I would readdress. On the other hand, other pieces like an all, the Alleluia that I wrote, um, every time I hear it, uh, the recording that was done of it, I, I want to tweak it. I want to change it, and I all I can think about is what I didn't do that I should have done. But then again, but the know, question is, do you tweak it? Oh, I will. Oh, I see. Oh, and I, then you'll have it I, reprinted. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I look back and think it's just juvenile. I mean, uh, part of my part of the podcast process for me was getting over my sense of perfectionism, which has sometimes gotten in the way of my success. I, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. I don't go back and, and edit uh, for that purpose. Just as an exercise, I misuse words. I say dumb things. <laughs> I quote facts that are absolutely false. I mean, maybe I'll issue a disclaimer in the voiceover sometimes, but I make a point to leave it up warts and all. Sure. Now, uh now, when you go back to edit pieces that you've written a long time ago, a long, you know, when you were still learning how to do what you do, do you feel like you betray that, or do you not make any qualms about I wanting make, to make it? I make better? no, I make no qualms about it. Uh huh. Um, for everything I compose, I believe there's much better composers and much better pieces. For everything I, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not saying I walk around with a defeatist attitude, but I certainly don't walk around thinking that my you know what doesn't stink? They're they're living, breathing documents. These they're living, breathing documents. These compositions. It's, and um, I think the great thing about writing for a group such as the Los Robles Master Corral, mm -hmm. a semi, I'd say semi-professional volunteer regional civic choir, a very fine choir led by Dr. Leslie Layton, mm -hmm. who was the associate uh, conductor under Grant Kershaw for 
six or eight years here mm -hmm. at the Master Corps. And a prior guest of Living with a Genius. Oh, Let's fantastic. That. Yes. I'm honored. Mm -hmm. um, the great thing about writing for Los Robles is they don't save you. In what way? What do you mean? If I, I could take a composition, a not-so-perfect composition, composition, you can put it in a, 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 a hundred incredible professionals, such as the Master Chorale, and they will fix the faults. If there's a voicing that's not great, they will make it sound great. If there's something that shouldn't balance, they will balance it. If there's a line that is awkward, they will make it sound fluid and beautiful. That's not to say that there aren't those voices and that talent in Los Robles, mm -hmm. but it is of a of a semi-professional level. Mm -hmm. So they're they're not trying. They're they're simply reading it down off the page, yeah. off the mm -hmm. page face value. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, until Dr. Layton of course shapes it and and creates it and 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 really adds beauty to it. So. Um, oh, it's a great place to try your workout. Exactly. So it's an incredible sketch pad for me to fail miserably in mm -hmm. my own mind mm -hmm. because if it doesn't work, you'll know it. And you know how to fix it. And you know how to fix it. And if it does work, then it's going to be absolutely glorious once it's shaped mm -hmm. or once it a, a group such as the Master Corral does it. Mm -hmm. um, it was the same thing when I would uh, mock up my... Um, compositions for film and such and write a cue and, and you know, record it all electronically in the computer. Mm -hmm. And I would always tell the director this, if in this form with these instruments, fake and, you know, synthesized as it all is, mm -hmm. if it in any way sounds palatable and great in this form, it will sound glorious live. Right. And it's that same kind of thing. So I think if I were to be cutting my teeth on a world-class organization, I think they would, they would be saving me from myself when I really shouldn't be saved, mm -hmm. at least at this point in my career, because mm -hmm. all I do is second guess everything I do. Now, as a self-admitted newbie in choral music, uh -huh. do you, uh, how do you get your work performed? Do you chase down choirs? Do you, do they no. come to you? How does that work? No, I've never, uh, I've never chased down anything professionally. How would a composer do that? You submit material what what is your plan to get your music performed throughout the country well i do have a it, i i am writing um one to two or three pieces a year for los robles mm -hmm. so to have those performances and recordings are great now i am at the point of i've been submitting things um and been winning some things mm -hmm. getting some accolades to the point of m me realizing oh this is real like yeah, this, i can do this i can do this mm -hmm. and and it's actually something that can be well received. Mm -hmm. So this is all moving forward and changing week by week. I've only recently reached out to a, a publisher about my stuff uh, at the proddings of others. I've only within the last week actually, and I'm embarrassed to say so, creating a website for my music. Mm -hmm. I, it's not that I haven't taken myself seriously, but ever since I, it felt like ever since I stood up from the piano at that audition back for uh, Zoo Specific on their tour and I got my scholarship, life has been a blur. It's it, And it's all I can do to keep up with it. And uh, that's a blessing. It's a good thing to have. But the opportunities um, have, uh, have been quite a ride. If and when you have to choose, will it be contracting or composing? Composing. Not you didn't even think about it. No. 
So is it a matter of money? If you could make- I don't, I've, I don't care about money. I don't care about credits. I, I, and I get emotional about it. I, 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 I never asked for this. I love composing and because of the anonymity of it all. I don't want to be famous. I don't want to be well-known. I'm an introvert. I don't like walking into a room and having 50 people wanting to talk to me and buy me a drink. I don't enjoy that. I would much rather be the guy in the corner that nobody knows and I just sip a martini. Um, composing and music is my first love. It's what drives me. And uh, as I, I didn't finish my thought earlier, the very first thing I did as a, as a contractor, I did a small women's choir for a film called Lions for Lambs. Um, Robert Redford uh, starred and I believe directed and Mark Isham was the composer and uh, God bless him the kind of the first person that gave me an opportunity um, in this business and I remember right before the session was to start an incredible uh, string player and um, conductor Mike Novak had just finished the orchestra walked over to me and said, okay, well, I have to go, so you're conducting the choir, right? And I, I didn't know I was conducting the choir. I was already stressed out enough that this was my first contracting gig. And now, granted, I've conducted all my music. I, I, I enjoy conducting. I love conducting. But that was a heck of a curveball. But I remember standing up there, Sony stage, the lights go down, the pre-clicks start, and the minute I started conducting, I realized that the same feeling washed over me. It, I was creating. I was part of the process. I was driving the ship. I didn't have to own the ship. I don't need that. Um, and it, that's the moment I realized that I can do this. I can do this. I will not be forever thinking that I'm compromising myself. Um, and it doesn't have to be my name on the screen. Half the time, my name doesn't even go on the screen. Um, but I am part of the process at the highest of levels with the most incredible professionals. And I knew that I could then do this. It's going to be okay. But my first love is and will always be composing. Would this Were this all to go away, I, I'll, I'll always have a pencil in my brain. And uh, that's all I need. And I'm happy. I'm good. Jasper, it has been great having you on the show. Such a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, Omar. Well, there you have it, folks. That was Jasper Randall. Thank you, Jasper, for joining me on the show. I really enjoyed getting to know you. Like I said uh, in the intro, I've worked uh, worked with Jasper a couple times, and it's really nice to to get to know the the guy who puts things together in this town. Thank you all for listening. Uh, oh, I want to mention to you, um, in case you don't know already, Nazis are bad. There's no excuse to support them or the people who support them. Please remember that. Always remember to be kind to one another. Really Thank you so much stuff. for listening, well, and like until next time. You like long walks and you wear clean pants. Genius. Get onto my show.